this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. Well, this week we finally wrap up the Gobblers and Garbage. The Backcountry Hunters and Anglers event that you go out, you're picking up garbage, you're scoring points for how much garbage you pick up by the gallon. Multiply that by a turkey killed if you kill it all that day, all in the name of cleaning up our public lands. So this week I am joined by none other then the first, second, and third place finalists. And fourth. <laughs> For the Gobblers and Garbage Cleanup event, welcome our special guest. It's just us, because we <laughs> won first, second, third, and fourth fourth place. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, Briar's back. He had to come back this week. He got first. That's right. I just want to know when my first light's going to show up. <laughs> they gave away some awesome prizes. They did. And uh, we had a good time, and we cleaned up all kinds of crazy stuff. Well, Briar, if you're not out in front, the view never changes, right? That's right. <laughs> first loser. <laughs> yeah, Briar got first. Jim took second place. I took third, and Jordan took an honorary backseat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I don't know why he didn't get the vest, because I thought that was, like, on the coolest thing, and I can't figure out how the jet ski or, or the Christmas presents or the toilet or how many sofas did we haul out of there? Oh, a man. A boat. Or the truck bed size tire. Yeah. yeah, no kidding, man. The we, giant, like, tractor tire that we pulled out yeah. of there. Dude, if that came off a truck, that thing came off like a, a dump truck. A mud truck. combine, man. Yeah. Yeah. Something, yeah. <laughs> Excuse my French. You have to edit that out, but. Whew. But, yeah, no, we got all kinds of crazy garbage out of there. So many couches, mattresses, 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 couches. You name that we electric recliner, a burner, cell phone. A pile of magazines. Half a Walmart versus ch- a, a children's oh. toys. Yeah. A, a a rug that may or may not have had blood on it. That was also by the recliner and the burner phone. <laughs> we might have cleaned up a crime scene. We might have cleaned up someone's attempt to clean up a crime scene. Uh, but if you if you guys need it, Forestry has it now. So you go <laughs> talk to them. It's in a black garbage bag. <laughs> I think it's in the Marion County dump right now. Probably. You know, we should probably still thank, you know, BHA for putting that thing on. Oh, yeah. And uh, certainly U.S. Forestry for rolling off those dumpsters at the last event. And then when we were out there running around, um, oh, man, what was that campsite we drove out to? Big Scrub. Big Scrub. When we rolled into Big Scrub and ran into the fire captain, they were like, you're pulling garbage? No problem. We got dumpsters for you. Yeah, that was pretty cool because they actually – you know, we already had a truck bed full of garbage bags, and they took all of our full garbage bags, and they were like, you're pulling garbage? Here's a bunch of empty garbage bags. Yeah, and they were down. They were very appreciative. That was cool. And let's see, who, who else donated to that? You got uh, First Light donated turkey outfit uh, a that turkey we're going to see Briar in. What, what I was told was it's a trucker hat, a leafy top, and the guide light pants. 
Nice. Dude, and, those Godlight pants, that, ooh. Does, hmm. I mean, if you think that right there, not including the GPS, that's like three, $400 right there. Yeah, and Steve Christian, I believe, donated the GPS. And I believe he got that from another gentleman, perhaps named Craig Miller. So if I'm giving uh, props to the wrong person, I apologize. But that was a hell of a donation. Yeah. I mean, uh, first Headbuster was- turkey calls. And I got to give props to Headbuster up in uh, Jacksonville, around the Jacksonville area. Uh, you know, it's impressive when you go to a turkey call website and they tell you that the experience is better in their app. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to that. And then uh, what else we get some... You get a bunch of BHA merch, right? I got a uh, the First Light Cypher hat with a BHA logo and a public landowner T-shirt. Who do we thank for that, Land Tony? I guess so. Send right. a thank you card. Y- you know, I'm you get you some First Light too, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got. I, I didn't tell my wife I was getting a hat. If she told, if I told her I was getting a hat, she probably would have made me give it all back because I've already got enough hats. <laughs> man, I got too many. I need to get rid of some hats. I just need to find a place to store mine. <laughs> I needed a hat rack for at the house. Getting rid of hats is like getting rid of guns. I just don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> no, because you always just worry like you're going to go through a, I don't know, like a crisis where for some reason you're going to go every time you get in the boat. There you go. Yeah. yeah let me tell you. One to I do have two massive cardboard boxes full of hats. The boat. Right. I almost lost my only, right now, only under pressure outdoors hat on the boat. Did you hear about this, Jim? Mm-mm. So I took the boat out to Lake Sellers, and it was kind of a windy day on top of, you know, already running the boat. And I was holding my hat down, and I went to grab it to try to pull it down. And right when I lifted my hand, whew, there it goes. I made like three laps, and I was running in the weeds in the mud boat. So, I mean, and barely, I just barely seen the bill sticking out. Above He's the blind water as a bat, too, so he probably looked straight at it like four times. <laughs> but. Finally, I found it, pulled it out, let it dry out, and good to go. There you go. Yeah, of all the hats I own, I'm actually the only one sitting around the table right now not wearing a hat, and I don't remember where I took my hat off at. But that's okay, because i got a closet full of them. Oh, i got a bunch of them. I mean, how, how do you not ever have too many hats? And then for me, I can't get rid of one, because that the one I wear most often usually is the one that I like to wear. Yeah, once you settle in on a favorite hat. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I have, I mean, I, I don't know how you guys do it. I actually do keep a certain collection of hats that are like dress hats. Oh, yeah. Where yeah. You're going to go out to a restaurant or whatever where it is appropriate to wear a hat. And maybe, in fact, you might even look funny if you weren't wearing a hat. So you got to have your dress hat. And you got dress t-shirts, dress shorts, dress flip-flops. You know, that's that's probably largely a Florida thing. It's definitely a South thing. I don't know if they... Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. But I, I, I do sometimes tend to, uh, when it comes down to the quote-unquote dress hat, I just tend to pick the one with the least visible sweat ring. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. You, yeah. I have hats that I Yeah, you only wear. wear. Yeah, you only wear out to a, a fine establishment like Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's face it, man, most of the time if you're running to me in the Olive weekend... Garden. Yeah, you know, people might walk up and hand me money. Like, hey, man, it's going to get better here. Take take two bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I very much look Jim, like, Jim, my wife's always that. killing me. Like, you look like a homeless person. If, exactly. if you get that, I should definitely be getting hit some money. From somebody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, speaking of stuff we found in the trash, oh, 
we just got a major studio upgrade yeah. last night from the garbage. <laughs> Six office chairs. And these are bad, man. These are comfy. Yeah, yeah, they're not bad. And you can't beat the price. Yeah, yeah, we we drove past and I was like, I think there's a couple office chairs out there. There might be like four. Turn around, there's six. I was like, yes. There was a whole, probably two or three cubicles there with them. It's piled up on the side of the road in front of somebody's house. Like they like they might have had like a, a downstairs, in it, like a, a racketeering business in their basement and <laughs> got busted, had to throw it all out. I mean, it was... It was had some sh- Wolf of Wall Street stuff going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Buying that, up that Dogecoin. Yeah. That that's not the the uh, car warranty people, is it? <laughs> it very well could have been. They haven't called me in a while. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> but all the whole thing, you know, the the gobblers and garbage man, that was all around based around killing a turkey, and I didn't kill it. Nobody killed a turkey. Oh, but we talked to that one. Oh, we tried. Good lord, that stubborn son of a gun. Same turkey a- three days in a row. See him, just. Cross the water, man. Would not cross the damn water. We got his hens did, not him. He's like, No, you come to me, baby. I say we got his hens to leave him and come to us. And they stuck over there for a while, but he would never cross. He'd come right up to the edge, stand there, strut, drum, just getting all sexy for the ladies. But he wouldn't he just wouldn't flap his wings and come across that little tiny ditch of water. Nope. And we couldn't get there because he was in the no man zone over there. But yeah. damn, we would remember that one morning. We're both hollering at him. We're gobbling. Yeah. We're we're yelping and every time he would cut us off, just just pissed off would move. Not not an inch. He in fact, he would gobble and gobble and gobble and gobble and gobble and then he'd just turn around and walk away. Yeah, and we try all right, so he shut up for a little while. Maybe that'll get him. He uh, he knew where he had it made in the shade. And he wasn't moving. I'll bet he'll be there next year. Someday he'll slip up. Oh yeah, kill a nine-year-old turkey with yeah, thirty-two-inch <laughs> beard and seven-inch mm-hmm. spurs. <laughs> Brad, did you even hunt turkeys this year? No, I didn't. I didn't even get a chance either. I'm surprisingly, I'm the only one that came home with a wall hanger though. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you so got also- your. Your gobbler out of the garbage. Yeah, my god. Well, yeah, he did come out of the garbage. I uh, I was headed home from work one day, and I just seen some. I happened to catch some feathers out of the corner of my eye, and then at the last second, I seen the red head, and I was like, "Oh, that's a gobbler!" So I whipped my work truck around real quick, and my guy that works with me, he's like, he he's asleep, and uh, he wakes up, and he's like, "What's going on?" I said, "I'm turning around to go pick up this turkey." He's like, "I thought something bad just happened." <laughs> Oh, wait. I was like, no, I'm picking up this dead turkey off the side. <laughs> so I pull the work truck over and run over there and throw it in the back of my work truck. <laughs> Take it home and skin it out, and it's ready to go. She's all mounted up. I just got to get it put on a plaque and stuff. I and- forgot that on the way out to meet you guys for breakfast before we went out and joined U.S. Forestry, the last Saturday of turkey season, I'm on my way, and there was a gobbler, not a big one, but nonetheless, beard and spurs, Standing on the side of the road. It's public land, but 790, 15, section one says, uh-uh, unlawful discharge of a firearm. It'll get you every time. I could have killed him, but it just, I could have gotten away with it. Pellet rifle. 
Does it? Nah, does it fu- you know, man, I just play by the rules. Does that include a bow? That's why I said. Yeah, that's a rival. good point. I could have probably <laughs> stabbed that stupid turkey with a the garbage picker I had. There you go. Beating it to death, but nah, kill you know. kill. Hey, that turkey would have winged Jim? the crap out, the crap Can't out of you. Can't you just see Jim running down the side of the road chasing that turkey with that garbage picker? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess for that matter, I could have just, boom, given the old bumper bumper bust, you know. And yeah, then you had a turkey just like Jordan's, except he didn't give him the old bumper bust. He just found it after it had been bumper busted. Roadkill poultry. I know. I wish I would have had like a piece of the car that hit it there with it because I'd mount it with the turkey. <laughs> It's a shame you didn't see it get schwacked. You might could have ate some of it, but I know. Yeah. There ain't no telling how long it was laying there. I felt there. bad. But you know what? It's all good. We'll take him and hang him up here in the studio. Yeah. You're putting him to good use anyways. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Can't let roadkill go to waste. But roadkill? That's what you're going to name it? Yeah. Man, you should have seen. I was, look, I was on the, like, above. I was on the roof of this building. This building is 27 stories tall. Coming out of the machine room at work today. And I seen a coon, a raccoon. I dude, this thing was the size of a small bobcat. This thing was huge. <laughs> what was he doing on the big old twenty seventh floor? Well, no, he wasn't. He was on the ground. Yeah. I seen him from that far away, Jim. That's Folks, how you big the sucker was. Briar's looking at me from across the table through about six and a half inches of glass. <laughs> No, with this new prescription, he's down to about a quarter inch now, Jim. Yeah, this is the new lens. Oh, it was cheap shot, man. I need an apology. I got a little low there. We uh, we give him crap and all then, the time for his glasses. And then I seen um, just before turkey season, I seen a hen at the, behind this hotel too. And that's down in Orlando. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like right by the convention center, there was a hen turkey just wandering around. Like he didn't, he didn't even give me a care in the world, hardly. It's it's amazing how uh, well some species have adapted to living living in an urban environment, like raccoons and coyotes and a lot of scavenger species. The mutt mallard I used to see every morning. Yeah, old pond ducks. Oh yeah, every morning. But it, it's it's really something else. I mean, you take an animal that was lived for eons in the forest build buildings and the raccoon will just nest up in your tree and steal your cat food at night or dog food or digging your trash <laughs> or whatever you know and then the coyotes people get out there and <sighs> conflicts with coyotes and they want to not harm the coyotes but they will jump your fence and eat your little dog oh yeah a couple of them will kill a bigger dog I saw one DDing through the parking lot at Subway behind the RDV Sportsplex one evening. Yeah. Coming out of there. Yeah, it was like two, three years ago. And, um, you know, first I was like, ah, somebody's dog. And I was like, that's not a dog. That's a coyote. You know, did the whole stare in there, kind of look at you the way coyotes do, and they're kind of skittish. And Gone. Right? Yeah. Just wandering down the road with that coyote prance they have. So I was standing in uh, Fort Orton, California, listening to a safety brief. And I completely lost all focus of what he was saying when the mangiest coyote I've ever seen in my life. I mean, didn't even have like, but the only hair it had on its body was like a little tuft of fur on its tail, the end of, towards the end of its tail. Not even on the tip, like it could have been shaved that way. It's just somewhere halfway down there is like maybe a clump of 30 hairs hanging off his tail. Other than that, 
naked dog. <laughs> Creepiest thing I've ever seen in my life. I swear it was a chupacabra. <laughs> Looked like one of those dang things <laughs> off Lion King. Yeah. Yeah. Running around Fort Orange, California. Yeah. Your, Nasty looking thing. Your experience at NTC must have been a whole lot better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> the weather wasn't too bad. No, I froze my butt off at NTC. Yeah, we had some warm days and some cooler days, but... During the day was nice. Don't get me wrong. During the day, it was like perfect weather. Not at night. So, but, we got to say, gobblers for garbage, we did successfully rescue the jet ski that, that we said we were going to get. No, well, well, originally we said we were going to get a boat. A boat. And we did get a boat. You, yeah. Not the way we intended, but we did get a boat. Now, what was crazy was the last weekend at Gobblers and Garbage coincided with the Forestry Services, um, what do you call it, Spring Cleanup event? I think it was called Project Spring Clean. And they organized it, and they had big roll-off dumpsters. Marion County FWC was out there hauling up some serious garbage. So was Lake County. Lake County Waste Management was involved. So was Marion County. Dude, the FWC officers were hauling in loads, like like yeah. sixteen foot trailer loads <laughs> full. Officer Joe Simpson reached out, um, and apparently he's been involved in cleaning up, you know, running forest cleanups with dog hunters and other organizations for quite a while. <coughs> Excuse me, folks. Um, but that brother was working. Yeah, you know, I mean, they were all working. But a lot of the officers, I think, because they may have still been on duty or they were kind of doing double duty, they still had their, they still had their duty belts, duty belts yeah. and vests. Are, vest. So you got to give them. You know, hey, you can only do so much, right? I mean, that's a little extra. Holy cow! So much. <laughs> they they one of their trailer loads was like two of our truck loads. Yeah, I Joe mean, Simpson though he was ratty and sweaty and oh yeah, uh, I can't can't give enough props to FWC yeah. law enforcement cleaning up garbage. They had a pretty good turnout of volunteers out there to pick up garbage. Yeah. Inch. All in all. And Forestry did a really good job of, I would definitely, even outside of Gobblers and Garbage, I look forward to participating in more of their cleanup events because they really went above and beyond to get to help all the volunteers clean the forest to the fact that they had printed maps of different sections of the forest depending on where you wanted to go and pick up garbage. They kind of cut the forest into four quadrants. And... On those maps, they had marked large piles of garbage. They'd marked tires. They'd marked furniture. They'd marked, you know, those giant piles of just household garbage. You didn't even have to look for it. Yeah. Then, yeah. You, then you could take a Venza maps and scan their big map and pull the map up on your phone and navigate with a Venza maps right on top of their garbage piles. I mean, they made it super easy. And then offloading it was equally as easy. Oh, yeah. Tires and everything. And, and tires was one thing that, on our own, we had a hard time getting rid of. And furniture, too. But when you came back with a trailer of garbage, there was a whole bunch of people lined up there to unload it for you. Oh, yeah. What do you check on that? I think they were there for community service reasons. I, but I do not, I do not <laughs> disagree, but I cannot <laughs> prove or disprove that fact. Yeah. They, they were still there, though. Right. They were working. But, uh, you know, along the, we're talking about how hard FWC was working. Um, and it, it bothers me a little bit 
when you go on some of the different social media sites and there's people out there that, man, they just want to grind on FWC. And a lot of times when you look at what they're complaining about, it's not even really FWC's job or I think a lot of the people, unfortunately, that sometimes are grinding in FWC or already bending the rules and they got a bit of an ax to grind, but they don't get enough, pra- <clears throat> excuse me, they don't get enough praise for the hard work they really are putting in. And anybody that actually takes time to call up with a question, they're pretty, they're really good about directing you to a biologist or a law enforcement officer or somebody that really knows their stuff. And if they, if, if you get directed, um, to an area and your, your question's a little bit more complex, they go out of their way to make sure that you, you get the right answer. Um, so where I was kind of going to go with this whole thing is a lot of people don't realize this, but if you just go type into Google praise an FWC employee, there's a link there where you can give FWC people compliments and I would be willing to bet that they don't get enough. So if anybody's listening to this, and you've had a decent experience with an FWC employee, let them know because they just get rained on and it's not it's not right. It's tough because social media is a harsh place. Yeah. Um, it, it gives – it's it's a double-edged sword because it gives everyone a voice. Yep. And you're free to say whatever you want for the most part. Um, all too often I think that people use that for nefarious reasons. Other than praise, you don't see hardly anybody singing anyone praises on social media. Yep. And uh, it's it's frustrating. FWC is doing the job they are tasked with, and they are doing a dang good job at it. Now, whether that aligns with what you want to see or not, two different things. There's things that they've done that I don't like, but I also understand that they're not doing it because they want to make people upset. They're doing it because that's what has to be done. Right. Well, if it's for species conservation, or sometimes they also get painted into quarters by politics. I don't want to get into some of those issues because I think I'd be out of line. But definitely a feeling that there are things, that especially some of the biologists and managers would like to do, but their hands are tied just by the way the process works. Right. And that same thing goes for uh, Division of Forestry. Uh, when it comes to road closures and things of that nature out there in the forest. I mean, we talked at length with, with some of the employees out there about the reasons they close roads, be it people driving down roads not supposed to, tearing up roads, tearing up wildlife habitat, native plant species that are trying to make a comeback and have found a niche somewhere in that forest and are, are doing well, and then somebody comes through there in the vehicle of their choice and destroys everything. And now they got to start back over at ground zero. So they close those roads so that people can't do that. And they see these roads where a lot of garbage gets dumped. And in order to keep people from dumping garbage back there, what do they do? Close it off. So, you know, I, I know I've said it before, and I don't know that I could ever say it enough. If we don't do something to give back to our public land as hunters and outdoorsmen, conservationists, we're going to lo- that's the quickest way to lose it because it is all public land for the most part is not it's a burden to the state there's only so much money they can make off of it so on and so forth but again they still maintain it for us to recreate on 
they can harvest timber they can do some things here and there but if we continue to trash it destroy it everything else we're going to lose it because if they have to go out and fix it and clean it that just causes more and more money to come out of that fund and when the money dries up and they can't maintain it bye-bye yep yeah yeah, this might actually provide a brief, terrible segue, but a, a brief comment that uh, on April 27th, for those of you that have been listening for a while, you know, I've been pretty passionate about fighting. Oops, Will told me to pause. This won't come out till middle of May. May 1st is Saturday. 27th was yesterday or two days ago. Oh, wait, never mind. I'm thinking. I'm sorry, Jim. Go ahead. All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, yep, long week. We'll start that over. You know, this actually, <coughs> sorry. It's a great time to segue maybe into uh, an update on the proposed Seagrove, proposed Seagrove Forest Road through the Point Washington WMA. Anybody that's listened to the last several podcasts has, has gotten a bit of a dose of that. And uh, surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, I think we made a dent um, when the Walton County Commission meeting met on April 27th. They did appear to listen to the folks that were in the room. Uh, they didn't get a chance to chat with the folks that were on the, attending virtually, though they said we'd get an opportunity to speak on it. But there were an awful lot of people that made very well thought out, logical <laughs> arguments about the way the process was going and the necessity for the necessity of the um, public land and, and the necessity of the, the conservation area and they they did indicate that they'd consider moving the, the road um, and another option was discussed to perhaps do what they call a needs plan where they don't necessarily remove the road from the from the plan entirely because there's funding things and other things that get complicated <laughs> but at least kick it on down the road. So whether they kick it down the road or they actually remove it from the plan, I think all of the volunteers at Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, at Florida Audubon, at Let It Be Forest, and I'm going to leave a whole bunch out, uh, Florida Wildlife Federation, Thousand Friends of Florida, SCI, um, individuals like Anita Page, and I, I can't, I'm going to leave Patrice Couch, um, they delivered a home run. If that road either gets removed or delayed, that was a Herculean effort. And uh, it's one that if individuals and organizations don't fight, if you set that precedent of putting that road through there, man, they're all history eventually. So kudos to the volunteers that actually took the time to not just talk about it, but get their hands dirty, write the letters, sign the emails, make the phone calls. That's what it takes, man. Otherwise, if it's important to you, you got to get a little dirty. Just yammering about it doesn't do anybody any good. Absolutely. So, kind of segue back to what we talked about earlier of wild animals on the urban landscape. I know you've been having some uh, dealings with bears this week. Some some bear stuff going on in your neighborhood. And uh, they bought uh, one bear-proof trash can and some signs. Well, that... That did not come out of my neighborhood budget, so so it's a tentative. It's a, it's a difficult subject. Uh, I live in a neighborhood. I'm pretty passionate about conservation. 
very familiar with the bear, the Florida bear management plan. And I geek out on this stuff, right? Um, then you have an awful lot of people that live in the neighborhood that are emotionally involved with bears because they're, they're cool animals, right? And they don't want to see them go. But the bears are making a living off trash. They're raiding people's trash cans. We've got problem bears. And a lot of folks don't like the reality that when a bear really becomes a problem bear, they don't relocate it. Well, they do. They just relocate it to Seminole County Landfill. You know, um, so in in trying to have discourse with people about the fact that there really, <laughs> there are too many bears for the carrying capacity, and that's evidenced by the fact that the only other state, in the 40 states and nine provinces that have black bears in in, in North America, we kill over 200 a year by car, and, and only Pennsylvania matches that. But when you talk about just general conflicts, the only other entity is the the province of Ontario, which compared to Florida is, is huge. It basically goes from Michigan all the way over to Vermont, uh, and it has 40,000 bears in it. Not, not very many people, but because it's so huge and because they have 40,000 bears, they have almost as many conflicts, I think, as Florida has. And then when you break that down, the overwhelming majority of the conflicts in Florida are in the Ocala St. John's population, which happens to run through my neighborhood. So we have, there's no question, too many bears, young males getting out, getting into trouble. So at any rate, that's the long-winded background. We have some very well-meaning people in our neighborhood that want to do something about it. So they all get together and unload the wallets, raise, I don't know, two grand or something like that. Go to Bear Warriors United, get some signs that say, there's bears that live in our area. Put those up in the front of the neighborhood and then bought a bear-proof trash can. And that's conservation. And I, as a guy who's really into the subject and really into conservation, I applaud people willing to reach into their wallets. You know, hit, hit it where it hurts the most, right? Reach into your wallet and say, I'm going to try to do something. <clears throat> but the misguided effort of just putting up a couple of signs because the bears can't read. Right? <laughs> and and even the idea is the bear-proof trash cans because the bears' noses are so effective that the, the bears don't even, they don't even see the can. They know the food's in there. And you're not going to have 100% compliance for every single person in the neighborhood going to go out and buy a $300 trash can or $200 trash can. And even if you did all that, there's still dog dishes, cat dishes, succulent plants rabbits we get so much stuff running around in our neighborhood bird feeders bird feeders that's exactly yeah squirrel i mean all these different things and the bears are so they're fecund they have so many dang offspring but trying to explain that even if you everybody did buy trash cans and everybody was 100 percent compliant it's just going to be more of them next year man growth rates growing somewhere like the population's growing somewhere between 12 and 16% a year, and there's thousands of bears in Florida. <laughs> <You know there's, laughs> it's it's a tough situation because we can't make any more habitat. I'll, I'll, I'll wake the whole pro- podcast talking about this, but in our neighborhood, it's so frustrating dealing with people that just want to be emotional about it. And if you suggest, if you try to explain the North American wildlife model to them where it is the sportsmen that pay the freight, those 
licensure fees that we would charge as a state actually go to fund the bearware program. They go to subsidize the bear trash cans, right? They go to habitat management and all the bear studies, and that's how it's driven. So the cost is that men and women who really do appreciate bears but want to eat them are going to drive the freight. No, no, we can't do that. But it's okay if they get hit by cars. It's okay if we spend money out of the conservation budget to go and euthanize them. And then all that gets wasted. Yeah. So thank you for letting me get that off my chest. Sorry, I just took over. (laughs) Well, you know, I kind of threw it at you, Jim, because I wanted to talk about where they put their money and then the bear tagging program they want to start down in Big Cypress that FWC was talking about doing. Yeah, that is useful, I think. A more a more useful place, or if you wanted to donate money to really help the state of Florida figure out everything they can about the bears, so they can better manage them across the broad landscape that is the wonderful state of Florida, from the swamps to the, you know, way down in the south to you know, Florabama, in a in the central time zone. Um, you were part of that meeting, correct? Yeah, the uh, tag, the. Uh Technical, technically advi- technical advisory group. Uh, I think it's what the, the tag stands for. I should know, right? Um, which is a group of people that are um, both sportsmen and, and and for the consumptive conservation. And then you have other groups that are, are very much opposed. But everybody does treat each other reasonably. And we attend the meeting, and FWC lays out the data, and they're fantastic, man. It's very thorough. They don't take sides in any arguments. They just lay out the data. Um, and they're very much working to study bears. So they've got, they've studied the Ocala, St. John's population, um, just studied the um, Apalachicola population, and I believe the next one's going to start next year is the um, Big Cypress population, which isn't just down at Big Cypress. It also encompasses the, the Panther uh, National Refuge, um, Picayune Strand, all that area. But one of the things that they they collar bears, but one of the things I guess that they're not doing is they're not collaring young bears because their growth rate, because the young bears grow so much that the collars it would really cause them some inconvenience and put them in danger and, and strangle them, I guess. So the, the idea is we get some ear tags. But some of that technology is, I guess, somewhat untested because you, you're putting it on their ear, you can't make it really heavy. They have tags that they use, I guess, with great success with birds. Like, I guess they could put them on the backs of birds, and they, they run on solar, so there's not the battery weight. Though a bird tends to spend almost all of its time during the day out in the sun, where anybody follows bears, they're not really sun-loving folks during the day, and they tend to move around a lot at night. So they're trying to figure out what kind of tags might work, as I understand it, each tag costs about 1500 bucks to really do an effective survey. I think they need somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 tags. So you're talking about 20 to 30 tags. You're talking about a fair fair chunk of change. But in my long-winded narrative, I would much rather have seen that money go to buy an ear tag that could have really been used to track bear movements, help connect those corridors, help connect the different populations so they have better genetic diversity, um, and really track the young males because they move first. Right. So uh, anyway, somewhere along the way, I think we may try to do some kind of fundraiser to help push that along. And I think Florida Wildlife Corridor is going to get involved. But that's the way 
for those of you that are listening, that's how conservation really works. You got to get out the wallet. You got to help spend these some of this money because there really is a somewhat limited budget. Um, even even if they did take money out of the budget to fund these bear tags, that's just money that's not going to go someplace else because we only sell so many hunting licenses, and then there's Pittman Robertson and all that other nifty stuff that brings money in, but it's still finite. They need more to really do a good job. Now you're talking forty five thousand dollars for thirty tags. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a good. That's a good chunk of change, yeah. and it's got to come from somewhere. Uh, and the more money we pull out of the, like you know, you talked about the budget, although it may be large is not infinite if you pull 45 grand out of there it has to come from somewhere mm-hmm. and, and that's just that's just for the tag that's not including you know trapping it bait for the trap paying the people to work the traps and put the tags on because they're not always gonna be able to, i mean there may be a few volunteers that come out and help them but somebody's gonna have to get paid somewhere right to do that at all the time you know and then the equipment to monitor the tags Yep. Talking a lot of money. It no doubt. No doubt. But uh and that's <laughs> the funny part. An awful big chunk of that bill is paid by sportsmen who can't oh, yeah. currently harvest the bears. And if I if I'm not mistaken, a lot of the money that was raised, as I said earlier, from the sale of the tags, that I don't believe was necessarily going back into more bear research that was going into bear aware programs. Except more signs, more brochures telling people, you know, don't feed them marshmallows. Yeah. Take your trash can inside. Um, kind of, that's the irony. I think a lot of the sale of the tags is going to fund efforts to appease the people that are opposed to the consumptive conservation of bears that is actually driving the money to fund the programs. I mean, it's, it, it's logically it, it doesn't make any sense. Right. <laughs> it's, it's frustrating uh, when you look at it that way. But we do that all the time. But a lot of times we get rewarded like we're about to with the Goliath grouper season. Yep. I was going to mention that, the Goliath grouper. Yeah. That's big. You know, well, I, I have never known a time in my life that I know of where you could harvest them. They closed the season in 1990. So and the year I was born. It's, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm not a biologist, by the way. I just, I'm a nerd. Um, but I did, and when I learn something, I then feel like I have to write an article about it because try to write a cliff note. You know, put, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, they closed the season in 1990. Um, fishing pressure was certainly part of that. But I, I think it was also largely related to a, a severe reduction in our mangrove forests. From what I understand, like in 2004, there was only about 50,000 acres of mangroves. But they grow pretty quick. That's the good news. So I think we're back up over 300,000 acres. But the mangrove roots, you know, I think most people here are familiar, hopefully, with mangroves. For those out of the state, the mangrove is uh, its tree got a lot of roots that just stretch out into the water and it's uh, it's kind of hard to describe a mangrove but you hopefully you've seen them in the movies at any rate all that root structure provides a wonderful nursery and the goliath grouper spawn they don't spawn there but they're they're when they're they're they're, they're fry their young fish will get their start in that mangrove forest and then they graduate out to bigger and better and eventually turn into volkswagen sized fish that eat everything you know there's a, the mangrove forest they 
harbor an amazing amount of life. Oh yeah, absolutely. In the ocean, snook, snook, redfish. I mean, if, chances are, if you've watched, if crocodiles. You've watched, yeah, if yeah. you've watched any kind of like saltwater fishing in Florida on TV, you've seen mangrove forests. Yeah, because they're always up in there. That big snook cruising right down the edge, or permit, or you name it, it's yeah, hiding. Right you get up all there kinds of like crabs and shrimp and stuff that'll get up in those roots as well, which provides those fish themselves for food. So I'm all for it, man. It was a side project to learn that the mangrove forest has come back. So anyway, yeah, now there's more. There's a, anybody that's been. I, there was a time in my life did a lot of spear fishing, and when I was young, we never saw. It was really rare to run into you know good size Goliath grouper, but. You know, last couple of years, you go on any large wreck in Florida, and there's one, two, three. Man, it's getting to the point where if you've got a bunch of culverts out dumped in some place, there might be, a, you know, I mean, like I said, a dang near Volkswagen-sized Goliath grouper out there. And they don't bug you. I mean, there's occasional tales of ambush and things like that. Uh, I, my buddy Jay Platt in Louisiana had a Goliath come up and snatch a string of fish from him one time, but he was fine. <laughs> yeah, sent him tumbling down yeah, I'm sure uh, he was fine. Did he have on his brown shorts that day? <laughs> Ironically, he did, but uh, he's pretty – He's pretty. Jay, I think Jay works for the CIA. He like, builds satellites and stuff like that. But um, for a – he's a dyed-in-the-wool North Louisiana. Just – he's brilliant, but in his core, he's about as redneck and hard as they come. You'd, you'd never gather that by just eyeballing him, but just impervious to – shit that most people would soil their drawers over at any rate uh going back to Clath grouper <laughs> the uh um there's a bunch of them they've also been helped by the artificial rope uh, artificial reef program because they keep sinking ships and dumping bridges out there so now we got too many of them well uh, arguably uh, that's the thing is there too many of them because a lot of the sport fishermen are starting to get upset that whenever they get a decent fish on they get it halfway up and yeah we just talked about that a couple weeks ago with captain mcnutt yeah we talked about the goliath grouper and losing fish to goliath grouper so fwc is going to evaluate whether they can take a limited harvest the things that they're concerned about are that the fact that once the grouper do find a wreck or, or a reef they tend to be pretty sedentary they stay on it so once you know there's a grouper there if you know they're there they're going to be there tomorrow so it makes them easy to target um, when they do move and they will move, there is a time that they will move great distances and they, they form spawning groups. Um, and I, I guess that those spawning groups tend to reoccur in the same place, same reef, same area. They're all in federal waters. Um, they're obviously not part in, putting charts out there so where that happens, but that makes them easy to target. The, once you find out where they are, they're in big numbers so people can take a ton of them. And then lastly, these monster fish are apparently pretty susceptible to red tide, like a lot of fish are, and cold snaps. So you can have mass die-offs. So being that they're easy to, fairly easy to target, um, they're voracious eaters, they're subject to mass die-offs, FWC is looking for a way, as I understand it, to put together a very highly regulated targeted season. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I'm really glad that they're looking at it because, as I understand it, Goliath is some of the best eating fish out there i don't know if they're gonna create the limit on where they're you're targeting smaller fish because they don't hit sexual maturity until like five or six years old and they're 
like 40 some odd inches to 50 some odd inches or a lot of meat yeah it's a big fish right i mean 50 inch fish it's a monster a couple Mm -hmm. hundred pounds um i'm all excited about this you can tell (laughs) or are they going to wait and tell you that you can't take them until they're breeders I would think it'd be the other. I think that there's, like any fish, there's probably a fairly high mortality before they get there anyway. So why not take a few of them if they're probably going to die anyway? Like, what do they call that? Con- contribute. There's con- two different kinds of mortality. Ah, shoot. I don't want to geek out on that. But yeah. You know, knows I, what they're going to do. I wonder if it would. <coughs> I wonder if they could run a, a system like. I think our alligator harvesting system is a is a very well thought out system that works really well where they break up the state into zones they assign so many tags per zone um, and then you can reasonably catch and release these fish because it's been happening the entire time uh, that you haven't been able to keep them so but it's kind of hard to put that size limit on there and it to say for a bigger fish cuz let's say they made it 48 inches right and i'm assuming it's not man so you catch a 55 inch fish i don't know that i could tell visibly by looking at it the difference in 48 and 55 inches right so they make tape measures <laughs> but it's not easy to do with the fish in the water what I'm saying is, by the time you get him up, he's tired enough. They kind of float sideways on the surface. But the strain of getting that fish in the boat to only find out that it's too big or too small or whatever that may be, mm. however that runs out, I see where you're going. Is going to put extra tax on the fish. Yeah, you didn't take the fish, but you killed it anyway. Right. I almost wonder because one of the things that kind of comes up is there are captains and dive captains and and naturalists that to a certain extent are making a little bit of a living on the idea that I'll take you out there catch a Goliath. So I, mean, how, I don't know how often they're catching the dang thing, but I imagine some of those Goliath group are like, oh, I know what this is like. Right. You know? right. They'll let me go um, until they're not there. But then that guy, he's like, wait, you just, the whole reason people used to get on my boat is to go out and see a Goliath grouper, and now you just turned it into fish steaks. So I, another reason why I bet you that they're going to, Look at smaller fish and not, not the, the landmarks. Oh, I would I would hope so. I'd imagine uh, it is not exactly easy to sneak and overslot Goliath grouper into the ramp either. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know? not at all. You get like an overslot trout or an overslot redfish. Somebody's gonna slide it in like a bigger compartment. No, <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't fit in the Yeti seventy five. Yeah, he doesn't fit in the Yeti one ten. He does. He goes just. He's riding home inside the cabin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Buckle him in, baby, because that's where he's riding the yeah. whole way back. Wherever he falls in the boat, that's it. Because that's a big old dang fish. You know, I bet they're not that good either if they get that big. I bet they're not. It's kind of like uh, like 400-pound catfish. Maybe. Or even if it's a group of like you, you know, a lot of people only black drum. But young black drum are absolutely fantastic. But when you go out there and catch one of those breeders, those you know, 30 inch black drum, those big monstrous females. Um, cause I, I did take one one time. I didn't know any better. And, and you flay the thing up and you got fish for days, a lot of its head, but you get these big fat, they look beautiful. 
Man, you go fry those things, and they're dense. It is much more like eating chicken than it is fish. I found the only thing that was actually good and was to like make make gumbo with it. But a fish gumbo, it's so dense it'll it'll stand up to the hmm. to the um, the simmering, the long term simmering. Hmm. But it, it was not good. Other, that was the only way that it was good is in soup. So why go get a go get a fish that's actually going to be fish? You can get chicken. You, yeah, you, right. Any Publix. So I'm kind of sad, but also happy now that hunting season as we know it is behind us we have it to look forward to and this is the craziest thing about it it is almost may and when you listen to this it'll be coming into the middle of may and deer season is going to open up in three months in florida (laughs) you you know what counting down as soon as it ends right like you you act like like i was out last friday looking for wood ducks well, yeah, I know, I know that, but my scout I mean, never ends. That's just the crazy thing about Florida is that deer season closed in March, late March, and now it's going to open up again in August. Yeah. Well, South Florida. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you're talking. It ends in late March in far northwest Florida. It opens in August in far South Florida, but still, you you could hunt deer here almost year-round. And if you're willing to travel a little bit, there's WMAs up in the Panhandle that run pig hunts during the summer. Well, you can hunt 12, year, 12 months a year around here. Just about. Maybe maybe not. There might be one or two where you'd be hard-pressed to find something. Well, rabbits and pigs, private, but I mean on public land, you can get out there and hunt pigs at a couple of them in the summertime. Well, I have why a, you'd want to, though. Oh. Well, my thing is... is, is get ate alive. When there is something to hunt, I have a hard time setting down a gun. But now that that's over with, it's time to fish. It's time to fish. Gig. It's time frog to frog gigs. gig. It's time to hit bow fishing. Tilapia, like what we were talking about the other night. Yeah. We're going back to the Glen? Nope. Nope. No? Shh. We'll talk about this off the air. Okay. <laughs> you spot naming. <laughs> Everybody knows what the Glen is. <laughs> you know, that's a really hard. I'll <laughs> no, tell you right now. Everybody no, I, knows what yeah. the Glen is. Well, I'll say it. Silver Glen off of Lake George, right? That's a really hard spot to bowfish. Because the area where you can bowfish and where there are fish is very deep. And a lot of the fish are down eight, nine feet. And when you talk about refraction at eight or nine feet, plus as much as the arrow slows down, I mean, you get lucky sometimes, and you'll get some tilapia and stuff up around the edge. But a lot of times, unless you're the first boat in there, that's it. Mm -hmm. Because they'll move off their beds and move down into the deep, and then that's, that's all she wrote. Uh, the one thing we successfully pulled out of there last time was a sweet pop-top Budweiser can. And a mullet. And a mullet. That's right, we do get a mullet, didn't we? I got we? a mullet. Yeah. But we got another spot me and Joel were talking about last night. He said it's full of tilapia. Yeah. And it's not that far of a run from here awesome. via the truck. And it's actually a really short run in the boat. Yeah. Yep. Excellent. So we get out there get some tilapia, but I'm really looking forward to frog gigging. I ain't had a good frog gig fest in a while. I know. I, I like got another spot. Everybody, everybody targets the bullies. You know, big bull frogs, and I like them too. But, man, I'll make a living. They're not pickle frogs. They're um, leopard. leopard frogs. Now, I tell you what, Jordan. They're small, but, man, there's a pile of them out there. Something yeah. else I just realized. We got access to our old frog gigging property back. I know. 
I, that was the first thing I thought about when we got it back. And Jim, you want to talk about some bullies? You can't get enough of them out there. And I'm talking stretch them out, 13, 14 inches long. Monsters. Man, so Steve Christian and Chase Waller from uh, BHA, if they hear this, they're going to be all over you. They have to come fight me for it. Yep. It's private land, not public <laughs> ground. There you go. Sorry, but boys. Maybe. Oh, I got another spot I want to go check out for frogs, too. Some big hydrilla mats. Yeah? Yeah. I'm down. I want to get... I mean, if I can pull food from the same source, I'm going back there. I'm going to pull a fat mess of frogs and have a good frog leg fry this year. Yeah. And then, before we know it, moorhen season's going to be back in. <sighs> Jim, I got the spot yes. to take you now. I'll take another spot. I, I got, I'm, I'm trying to spread it out. I got a couple that I go to, but I'm starting to worry... That I got the, let me, if, let me if me and Briar couldn't kill him out of there, <laughs> let me tell you, me and me and Will stopped short of our limit because we didn't want to clean fifteen birds. Yeah, a piece. Yeah, a piece. That would have been thirty birds. Yeah, Old thirty birds. Pond. Yeah, that place is slap full of them. I seen a few the other day when I was out there. They're you know what? Up. You know what might be a fun way to do that is kind of position a boat just right in that one spot. And then have another one, another mud boat, kind of push through the the reeds, yeah. So that you have get a run out, yeah. You get a like a moving shot instead yeah, of it's just like shooting litter. trap, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <that's> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Pull, wow. You know, for folks that for folks that especially the diehard waterfowl or the the guy that won't shoot a coot because it's beneath him, moorhen's probably not your game because you know just where not cool where. Like that. Yeah, well, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you can't shoot a duck on a water. I'll tell you right now, I'm a water swatting son of a gun. I don't care because I don't get to go enough, so I'm bringing him home. That's all right. But the opposite's true with a moorhen. Like, if you can get a moorhen on the wing, it's kind of a big deal because some suckers, they just run. They, they swim or run, man. They won't fly. Jim, Jim, I can idle my boat right up to it, kill the motor, wait for it to stop, and then shoot. Well, that, that's legal. <laughs> if you shoot yeah. while the thing's still moving, you're... you're uh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, no, I can idle right up to it, Yeah. stop, kill the motor, wait for the boat to stop, and then shoot the bird, and the bird just sitting there. So the, the, yeah. our, like It's almost cheating. <laughs> our method of approach is to sit on the outside of where we see the birds, and we start counting. We find the biggest group of them, and then we kind of kick the motor on, kick it just above an idle, and shut it back off, going in their direction. And we're all standing there waiting. And as soon as the boat comes to a stop, all hell breaks loose. You know, I hadn't done yeah. it with more than just like me and you in the boat. Because usually one of us is driving and the other shooting. Yeah. And then we just trade out. I got a semi-auto too this year, so I'm ready. There you go. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> not fun, man. They're, uh, and, and then people think that they're not good eating. But like anything else, medium rare. More for me. Just yeah. dust them up a little bit. Just a minute or two in the... Painted oil and man, they make some good poppers. They were amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, Jim. After after I ate that, after I literally ate bro <laughs> that you cooked, you can't convince you, you can't convince me anything's not worth trying at least once. You know, yeah. I mean, I think the breasts are going to be dog treats, and I'm eating the legs on them more hands. You got that backwards. Mm, I don't know. Well, maybe if Adam Steele was cooking for sure, I can tell you that much. You you can get that. Well, see, so the legs are harder to get at because you got the bone in there, but you can take those breasts, and that's what they made the nuggets out of. Yeah, that's what the breast meat yeah. that we fried up and ate. But the legs, you have to take a lot of time to separate all that, and I think that's what Adam made the tacos out of, the lettuce wraps. Yep. 
because they kind of pulled it apart and then shredded it. Yeah. So it depends on how that you cook was it. Good, though. That was really that was good. good. But mm-hmm. you could make just straight up taco out of it. Mm-hmm. So the easy way to do that is uh, you can take the whole breasts, legs, whatever, boil it. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't do it with the breasts. No, the breasts are good without it. But the legs, just throw them in there, boil them till they're done, done. Um, strip the meat out because that way you get all the tendons, these little pin bones that are in there, and they all come out. And you just got a pile of meat that I'm telling you at this point it's not going to look appetizing. Throw that in a, um, what do they call those things, food processor, and just shred it so that you've just got this, Pulp. It'll be dry. No, it's not yeah. pulpy, man. It's kind of because you, you've boiled it, so and if they're so lean. Right. But you have all this shredded meat. Now, take that, throw it in your pan, hit it with a healthy dose of your favorite taco, you know, like authentic taco mix seasoning, where you add the water and just let it simmer, right? And so all the, all the water and seasoning goodness, man, that dry meat just sucks, sucks it all up. up. Then take that and put in a taco or a burrito with all your good stuff. And, man, that is good eating. That is absolutely fantastic eating. Nobody would know. It's great. Morehands, watch out. Why did we tell them? Man, I mean, they're ugly birds, and they don't really don't smell that good. No. I mean, they stink. Well, they smell like hey, swamp. You say they're ugly, but they have the coolest, like, iridescent green on, on them. On the feathers, yeah, and it's it's pretty cool. Now the whole bird itself, uh, it's ugly, but that that cool iridescent green and the black is awesome looking. Now I tell you what's the prettiest one I've ever seen, which you cannot shoot it, is the purple galloon. Mm-hmm. And That's that the sucker, American, I think yeah, so. it's out. the American. Yeah, and then the common is the one you can shoot, which is the green. But one. there is a visible difference. Oh yeah, in the two, in the way they shine in the light. I mean, you get you you get an American in the in the sunlight, and that sucker's like bright purple. It looks like you know them those those magic them really like big felt tip magic markers. Yeah, when you would get like rub a bunch of it in one spot and shine a light on it, that's the way they look in the sunlight. Yeah, but it's a lot more brighter purple though. Yeah, I've never seen one of those up here. I've only seen them down in the south, or you see them at like Bush Gardens. But that doesn't count. We've it's seen the them where we kill them. Yep. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I wouldn't want to knock one of those down. You know, the thing about, I'm sure you've had that experience where you look at them and you think, eight shot, 20 gauge, no problem. N- nope. They're tough. They're tough little suckers. <laughs> and then they you, go, and you, go, you go pick one up out of the out of the water, it looks half dead. <laughs> but then, man, you're playing with razor blades. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Me and him got all cut up. From yeah. yeah. I grabbed a hold of one and it clawed the crap out of me. Yep. They got some dang little talons on them now. Yeah. We had one that we grabbed and I thought we'd shot it. I don't know. Did we... Just knocked it out. It was a out. little one. It was smaller. And I'm like, man, I don't even know if I shot this thing. I think we threw it back. You're right. Because <laughs> we, did, we did catch that one. And it was it was just going nuts. Let it go and it took off running in the bushes. Yeah, like nothing had ever happened. I, I don't, don't know if we hit it. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't a feather ruffled on it. <laughs> but it was, it was kind of like laid up underneath some lily pads. And we went back by. I snatched it by the head. Because I thought it was one of the few we'd shot in that group. And when I pulled it up out of there, oh, that thing was not happy that I had a hold of it. it. We've had them, my G3, I've got, you know, the front's got a bait well, and we'll just throw them in there. And we've had them, man, you shoot them, you're ringing the neck. You think for sure they're gone. Throw them in there. Throw the, open up the bait well and throw another one in there. Here it comes. Popping out, running around the boat. (laughs) Well, 
That's like that's like you talk, yeah talk about that. That's like trying to keep frogs in a five gallon bucket after you gigged them. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a nightmare. It, it, I remember times where we had a five gallon bucket just slapped full of them. And it's like all right, ready? I'm gonna I'm gonna open it on the count of three, and you throw those in. Ready? One, two, three, and you open and close it really quick while they throw the frog in there, <laughs> so the other ones don't get out, and you're not chasing pre-gigged frogs all, all over the place. Mesh bag. Yeah, like that's the way to do mesh it. Mesh bag. Yeah, yeah, that's my that's my tool tool of choice. That'll do it. Well. What you guys got for a tip of the week? I got one, and I'm I'm gonna start doing this. Whenever I, I go to the forest, even if I'm going to put a boat ramp in the forest or on some public land, I'm gonna start taking a trash bag. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, you don't have to do it when you put in, but I mean, you come back, you got a few minutes, pick up some trash and take it with you. If you're going on a hike, take a trash bag, and it doesn't have to be a big one. You can bring a Publix bag with you. You know, if you pick up a little bit and everybody, every time somebody goes out and everybody goes out and they pick up a little bit, it's not going to be long and it's either all going to be gone or it's going to be that much cleaner. We got Jordan. I'm going to say, uh, always be a man of your word. You say it, stick to it. You know what I mean? There's a lot of times where maybe sometimes Something might be kind of harder to stick to come down the line, but if you say you're going to make it happen, make it happen. Yeah, fair enough. That's good life advice, man. Yeah. Good for your kids. Mine is going to be that when there's an opportunity to get out in the woods and clean up some trash, one of these big cleanups, that you do so. And when the locals stop by to tell you how much they appreciate you cleaning up the trash in the woods... Start chatting them up about what they've seen in the woods, and all of a sudden they start telling you about oh, the wood ducks fly right over here. I was say, ask them where you're over here. Oh my god, yeah. turkeys cry. We we saw two quail player. two minutes ago. Yeah, like man, them old fellas. What they they dialed us in on turkeys, quail, bass, bass, wood ducks. Wood ducks. I mean, I'm going. I'm going. I'm going. That's where I'm going tomorrow morning. As, as I'm going where those fellas uh, was telling us about. Yeah. Oh yeah, we see them diving in all the time. Really. Where exactly? Out. Right there. Okay. If I pull All this, right. if I pull this satellite map on my phone, can you point to exactly where on the lake <laughs> yeah. you see those ducks go? They would oh, have too. <laughs> I know they would have. They were some good guys. They had that's some very interesting stories about the area. That was that was they did. That was pretty cool. I did not know about that uh, that hotel they were selling. It got yeah. uh, all kind of. They told us about the Kismet Hotel. I looked it up on the way towards the forestry thing. The Kismet Hotel was actually dismantled and rebuilt in city of Eustis. It's still there? No, it's no longer there. But <laughs> You yes. can go check it out, wasn't you, Jim? I was too. It was, they, was dis- there, they, home. <laughs> they dismantled it from there, carried it to Eustis, and rebuilt it in Eustis. Hmm. So it says it on our website. And it's uh, something that I just came to me one day, and I'll say it again right here and, and give you the meaning behind it, is that active participation in conservation starts with you and ends with the people you share the great outdoor, your love for the outdoors with. We can only do so much as individuals. And it's great when somebody sits there and says, oh, I love the woods, and this, this is great, or whatever, but when you actually... Grab those people, take them out there, and connect them to the land. They form a deeper bond and understanding and love for the woods 
and they are more likely to continue to come back, to continue to come out and pick up garbage, to actively participate in conservation. So if I say don't talk about it, be about it. But a little surprise for this week, we did some interviews while we were out there at the spring cleanup event. So I'm going to go ahead and tag them on the backside of this episode so you guys can talk to some people from forestry. You can talk to uh, that, and we talked to some dog hunters that are out there have been there for the last three years, uh, putting up a good name for, for hunters in the state of in the state of Florida in the Ocala National Forest. And they were actually coming from a couple hours away. So that's that's pretty cool. They come that far just to clean up garbage. Yeah, they came they all the way from Clay County. They had a they had a pretty good haul too. Oh yeah. They picked up a lot. And what was great, they showed us pictures of the before and after pictures. Before was this giant, huge, just mess of garbage everywhere. When they left, it looked like there had never been a piece of trash there. They mm-hmm. it, it looked like they raked the grass to get it clean. It was We gotta get those guys in here if they'll come in and just listening to them, there's easy 60 minutes of of insight into dogs and the relationship that people have with them. I mean, we had Brian Irish on, actually back when I was still kind of guesting, and he got into that, right? But that same relationship exists with those, the guys that are chasing pigs and chasing deer and hopefully someday chasing bears. We good stuff. Hey, if we can chase bears, I'm going to have me a whole pack of walkers. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know man from uh we'll see. No, I don't know if I want it. Jim, you can come use my dog. <laughs> Thank you. No, I was thinking <laughs> I'm hoping that we're gonna get to a bear hunt. I am gonna that, keep a little powder dry here on that. Yeah. That's the goal. We'll revisit that again in the future, I'm sure. But until next week, you guys can get down to the this podcast description and you can find us on find us on Facebook. You can join the podcast community, the Under Pressure Outdoors League group. You can find a link to the Florida chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers group if you want to get involved with some of the stuff they're doing across the state. And uh, let's roll roll that beautiful bean footage, except <laughs> it's only audio. Let's get into these interviews. Yeah. All right, so we are coming to you guys live out here from the Ocala National Forest Garbage Cleanup. And this is the last weekend of Gobblers and Garbage, so we're out here trying to just rack up the points and do it big before it's all over with and get more garbage out of this forest. And you go by Tony? Yes. Yes, so I'm Tony Davis. I'm a natural resource specialist here on the Ocala National Forest. And this um, today is called our Project Sprinkling. And it's a, um, a joint venture between the Florida FWC, Lake County Waste and Management, and also Marion County Waste Management. So how much garbage do you guys usually pull out of the forest when you guys do this? It's an annual event, correct? It is. We do two cleanups. Um, the one in conjunction with our partners is every April. And then we do another event in September. And we usually probably get um, close to, we've gotten close to 30 tons in some previous years off the forest. That's a lot of garbage. I know we uh, went out there, we just came back with, how many gallons do you think we had total? We just dropped our first load off, Jim. Jordan had 21 bags, 50 gallons each. And a monster tire, and we had another six at 50 gallons each. So what's that, 27 bags at 50 gallons? That's a lot of bags. 1,300 <laughs> gallons? Yeah, and plus that giant uh, tractor tire we found out there. And then we're going to about to head back out, try and hunt down some more tires, because 
that's one of the hardest things to get rid of especially out here because you know we we faced in the past few past couple months is where to get rid of tires without being charged an arm and a leg for it so in your opinion how do you think that this garbage ends up out here some of it is just that we do have a, um, a lot of boats on the forest and the state of Florida you have to pay to dispose of your boat so what happens a lot people die or they go clean up property and a boat gets dumped on the forest because they can't legally get rid of it it's very expensive to get rid of a boat and the same thing with tires if you have you clean out your garage and you have tires that are just sitting around you can't they have an amnesty day a couple of times a year at Marion County does but other than that you have to pay to dispose of it and it, it gets pricey it does tend to get expensive. What were they charging us? Three dollars a uh, a tire, or they're charging by the pound, depending on the size of the tire, at the Lake County. Lake County was uh, I can't remember the exact price, but it was so much per ton, <clears throat> and depending on the tire, it could be you know upwards of two or three hundred dollars a tire, if not more. Which still not an excuse to throw garbage out in the woods, but uh, in my opinion, there needs to be something done about that. Because uh, we could mitigate mitigate some of the garbage by making it easier to properly dispose of garbage. But uh, so, how long have you been out here running the show or part of this cleanup? Um, I've been on this forest for 14 years. I've been with the Forest Service 21 years, and we've been doing the cleanup probably the last 10 years that I've been here, um, twice a year. So, and some of the, you know, we talk about the tires and whatnot, but some of it is just um, poor planning. Some of the trash gets dumped off because they missed the. The, when the centers are open and they don't get their trash there in time but that's a that's part of it too and some of it's just people just they just don't want to do right you know it's just a culture that we need to change yeah a lot of the garbage we just picked up came about 400 yards from the uh from the station where you could dump it down a power line road yep. so um but what, what's your favorite part of being part of the forest service being out here in the ocala national forest I would say it's definitely the people. Um, I'm like, I'm a forester. That's what I went to school for. And I'm also like, I'm the people person of the group. So out of all the foresters, no one else would probably talk to you today. That's for, just being honest. So I'm the people person. And I like people. I like the energy. Um, I really liked seeing and uh, learning people getting, you know, cultures and stuff. So the people I've met, the people like you guys and your stories and your generosity being able to help, that makes me um, feel better. There's a lot of days that you're just really down and out and there's just the energy that people when they come out here and they can experience something that I've helped be a part of especially just protecting the forest it just makes the day go by a lot faster what are some of the biggest challenges the forest is uh, facing outside of garbage right now that uh, sportsmen and women should be aware of and maybe do something about what funding that's a big issue funding um, there's lots of stuff we want to do um, that even like the cleanup if we didn't have our partners we wouldn't be able to do it because we have to pay too to get rid of trash so it's a lot it comes down to funding um, a lot of we have a lot of great ideas of even like recreation experiences that we would love to put money into but we're very limited that's one of our big issues is um, we're a federal agency and we do we're one of the few federal agencies that actually puts money into the, the like the national treasury but through our um, sales of our forest products and whatnot and our recreation passes but a lot of that it has to go across the board like we bring in a lot of money on Ocala because we're year-round recreation and then we have our special uses but doesn't always come back to us in that way that's a big issue and another big issue that we have outside of money is just people and their toys people get their um, ATVs and OHVs and they want to come out and ride and they don't actually know that where they're riding and that looks fun maybe a little wet is causing resource damage that costs tons of money to fix and then and it's you know 
it's you know deteriorating the the habitat for different animals and stuff. So we like to end every one of our episodes with a tip of the week. Do you have a tip of the week for our listeners? Outdoors related tip of the week or just anything? I mean, we a lot of times we end this with pack it in, pack it out. Uh, but what what do you got for us? Um, enjoy this forest that you pay for and just leave no trace. Make it better than the way you found it. That's my tip. Well, Tony, I really appreciate you joining us, and we'll see if we can compile up some more interviews and throw these into an episode. So, Seth, tell, tell me a little bit about what's your sign say back there? It says, uh, our dog hunters care doing our share. We're picking up trash out here. We feel that uh, dog hunters do not get a good uh, rap, people as far as, as uh, outdoorsmen, and... We feel that these our woods are south of 40 here, 19 and 40. We're allowed to run them, you know, fox and all the year round. So when we're down there on that side, or half the year at least, when we're down there on this side, we're trying to uh, trying to make our woods look better. So I understand you guys are out here almost every year with this cleanup. Uh, we've been out here the past couple years, yes, sir. That's good. So what what all did you guys find out there today? We picked up household trash. We picked up mainly household trash, uh, oh. lighter tires. Uh, but we picked up cans. You can look. I don't know if you want pictures, but we got uh, three uh, uh, recycle totes full of beer bottles and all that we picked up. This it's ridiculous from people. We we guess it's from people uh, riding four wheelers and all, riding up and down the trails. Just get done with it, sling it up in the bushes. But I mean, we we picked up probably a half mile stretch, and we had three containers full of cans and uh, beer bottles just. You know, not when you see them on the road, if you just look up in the edge of the bushes from people throwing them. You know, we've noticed coming through here, uh, picking up beer cans like that, that uh, people tend to drink beer at the same pace because you never find just one by itself. When you get out, you find five, six, seven, eight of them all along there. So, yeah. Yeah. Yes, sir. That's, that's true. We, we find, uh, I mean, you can walk up in the bushes. I went up there with a bucket, and I had went seen one beer bottle and went in there and picked up it, and then there was six more laying there with four beer cans you know it's just ridiculous it's, it's amazing how nasty people are it's it's a shame that this garbage ends up out here like this and something we i think people fail to realize is if we continue to throw garbage in the woods like this it puts a strain on the forest service and that's how we end up with uh, road closures out here and stuff like that between people coming out, coming out here and tearing up roads and then throwing garbage everywhere dumping piles of trash i know when we came back out in march we pulled out an entire boat that we didn't even know was a boat when we started with it uh busted all the pieces jet skis there was a boat on the side of 40 coming in here today where somebody drugged that out of there we found one today on the pipe in there first time we've seen it it's a new it's a new drop off so i dropped it in there it's sorry people that's all it is it's sorry people making it hard on us because uh you know, we want to hunt, we want to keep the woods, and these people ride through there and see all this trash, and they're automatically going to blame hunters because we're the most most visible out there, you know. Uh, and it just it makes us look bad. That's one of the reasons we come down here. We appreciate the beauty of the scrub, too, but we want to come down here and clean it up or help clean it up so it get, won't try to keep some of the bad publicity off of hunters. And dog hunters, we're the bottom of the barrel for everybody. Other hunters, still hunters look down on us. Everybody else looks down on us. So, you know, we just try to do our part. We're going to keep doing it until they won't let us. But we're going to try to keep the woods clean and, uh, you know, do our part. That's what we want to do. And that's the big thing we're trying to do is come out here and uh, we, we try to pull people from when we did our Gobbles and Garbage event, we're putting it all over the Ocala National Forest, tagging them on Facebook and stuff like that. So that when these people that have nothing to do with hunting, come out here and they see your sign on your trailer then they go home and they go you know what maybe they do care 
you, somebody's got to put on a good face, right? Because everything else is based off assumptions. Um, and I, I don't dog hunt, but I understand it's a heritage, and I've done it before, and I love it. It's a fun game. I just don't feel like feeding that many dogs. You know, you mentioned that you read, I think you used the term bottom of the barrel, and Clay, Clay Newcomb, who used to run the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast and then just moved over to Meat Eater, he would refer to dog hunting as a guard-the-gate issue and did a really great job of explaining that men domesticated dogs about 26,000 years ago. They came here about 16,000 years ago. But men and women have been hunting with dogs for 16,000 years, and it's only been in about the last 50 that people have started to look at dog hunters as being an oddity. Yet, and I'm not a dog hunter personally, but I've gone out several times, and every time I've gone out, I find that the, the dog hunters are usually more about the dog than the hunt. You want to make a comment about that real quick? Yeah, because if you're out there uh, for meat with dogs, you better go to the grocery store and quit buying all them all that dog food because uh, you get a lot more. You put a lot more money in your dogs than you put meat in your freezer in front of dogs. But it is a heritage thing, and it's uh, it's a lot of fun. We have a good time, uh, you know, training them and, and running them, and uh, and it's and there's nothing like being on a stand with a and them bringing it to you, you know, and uh, and you got your gun cocked, and it's either going to pop out there and be a shooter, or you got to let her go, and then you got to start catching dogs. So yeah, it's a it's a good thing. It's it's hard, but it's it's a hard um, way to hunt. But it's definitely not a meat, uh, not for meat. It's definitely for the pleasure and, and uh, the hounds for for 100 sure. De- definitely more about the race than than the actual yeah, catch. Absolutely. Yeah. We've been down here three solid years, uh, three solid seasons, and I don't think I've shot a, shot at a deer. So I mean, I mean, that's just to tell you that if we were in it for this, we'd went hungry a long time ago. So. <laughs> So what kind of changes have you seen in the forest over the years? I mean, I've, I've seen, because I grew up running around this forest as a kid, and now I'm seeing more deer and better quality deer out here than I think I've seen in the past 15 years. Yeah, the, the deer population out here is really good, and uh, it's hard to hunt down here. It's as big as the blocks are and all, but especially with hounds. But uh, uh, we've seen some good deer come out and, you know, good bucks and all, good mass on their horns and all. And, uh, a couple of good ones killed in front of our dogs. Yeah, we've we've had a couple. You know, we've seen we've we've been on a few of them. We just we only have a few trucks, so it's hard to to get in front of them. But uh, uh, the only thing around here that the main change is them they're closing the blocks, making them smaller. There's like a, a lot of roads up there around the or around there by the Sellers uh, Lake and all. There used to be a lot of um, roads you used to be to ride off in there and cut your dogs better and or you know get off in the middle of the blocks. But they've cut them up. They've cut them off, I guess, because of the lake rising which has made it harder to hunt in there because it made the blocks larger. I, I said smaller earlier, but I meant larger. The uh, the blocks are a lot bigger now, so they're harder to get in front of. I was just going to say, we got to talking about dog hunting. That I don't routinely dog hunt, but I do it a few times every year. <clears throat> and I have gotten a bigger adrenaline rush out of dog hunting, trying to get in front of the dogs, or even just catching the dogs, than I ever have still hunting. I mean, it's... There's been some times where you're like, all right, you're right here, hard road's right there. As soon as that dog comes out, somebody has to have a hand on that thing because it's gone once it hits that hard road. Well, you know, the difference in, in I still hunt and I dog hunt. I've hunted out tree stand and all, and the difference is when you're in a tree stand, you can really look at what you're, and you got time, most of the time, you know, because you got a shooting area, lane or whatever, and it's going to step out, and you can look at it and say yay or nay. But when you're on the road, even as wide as some of these roads are in the scrub, it's right now because a deer he, he puts it down especially as a buck he's going to tuck it under and he's going across that road and you better be ready um 
And some of them little interior roads, nah, you just you just gonna tell them which way he's going in there, cause you know you better be pulling the trigger before he when he sticks his nose in there. But so it's definitely an adrenaline rush, cause it's a it's a, a split second decision you got to make. And uh, uh, and and like I said, when they when you, when they fired up in there and bringing them bringing it to you, it's a uh, there's a lot of adrenaline getting on right there because it's like you know you, you're waiting on it, and uh, and then it's you know is it gonna be one or not, and then. Uh, so it's, it's all about speed, but it's about the hounds. It's 99% of it's the hounds for us. And um, I, I, we've both got, you know, eight or nine head apiece. And, uh, and we feed them year round. We keep them, you know, we got to keep them up, try to keep them, tra you know, keep them trained, got to keep them, you know, and we only get to run them, you know, two, three months, you know, two, three months out of the year. And it's, you know, we, we do it, you know, 12 months out of the year though, because it's, it's, you know, we just have to keep them up. But, that's why you know so that's why we do it you know for the for the hounds if you're not a houndsman you know that's what that's what i feel that when you see the bad rap we get people leaving dogs in the woods and stuff like that those people aren't houndsmen those people run dogs but they don't they don't take care of them they don't want to feed them throughout the year they don't want to do anything with it other than to have their, their adrenaline rush and then let them loose you know and then so we you know you know we try to we try this is what all this is about we're trying to keep our image up you know we feel that there's plenty of people doing bad not enough doing good so we're out here trying to trying to make it at least where yeah, some I, people I think it, different i had it passed on to me by my grandpa and my daddy and I, this is my sons i'm passing on to him and uh i've got grandboys too hopefully i'm gonna introduce them to this i hope it'll still be here when you know when they're able to come out in the woods and hunt and uh and pass it on it's it's tradition it's heritage and uh it's something that we uh, we take a lot of you know get a lot of uh, enjoyment out of and take a lot of pride in. It's a heritage thing for us. My whole family, um, you know, we all we run hounds, always have, and and you know as long as they'll let us, we will. You know, it's just a it's part of life for us. We should get these guys. This, this. Well, I, I appreciate you guys stopping by for an interview. Let me flag yeah. you down, and uh, I really appreciate you guys coming here and helping everybody pick up garbage. Sure. Yeah. So you guys have a. Go ahead. So no problem. We appreciate the, them, the, the forestry putting the dumpsters out here for us. Absolutely. Well, let's go get some more garbage. <laughs>